What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Dipped in Tone. I'm Rhett. I'm Zach. We're back, man. We got a uh-huh. really exciting episode today. Yes, we do. Really, really happy about today's episode. Heavy hitter. Uh, before we get into that, though, what's new? How you doing? Uh, I can't remember the last time we talked in 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 in, uh, in podcast, in podcast world. land because technically um, we talked yesterday in person, but that's, that's, that's right. Not here. Um, I'm good. We released the Hephaestus. Yep. Uh, that that the mini. The mini. And, uh, and it's really funny. Like when I, I've watched all the videos about this and you, you know, you have an intimate relationship with the Hephaestus. I do. And I realized something that I know other pedal people did, but I didn't realize I should do this where I send like a, Hey, you should like make, probably start the video like this or use the pedal like this because everyone started it with the warning knob all the way down. Mm. So like the octave thing was already there. And you don't get that moment where it's like fuzz, 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 weird. You know, it's yeah. just like weird and then fuzz. Yep. Um, but anyway, that's that that got released and and uh, it's it's always a ha- it's happy days when there's a new pedal release. So happy and I days. Got a, lot of, a lot of things yeah. cooking. You you played a new thing. I played a new thing. Shop. Yeah, I played. Uh, well, listen, you played a bunch. We're of not things. Gonna, we played a bunch of things. We worked on some things. We're not going to get too much into detail, but there's some things happening that it's gonna be really cool it's gonna be really cool um so yeah that's great how was disney oh yeah i legitimately haven't talked to you about disney it was a nightmare (laughs) really (laughs) because like i wanted to be there morgan kind of wanted to be there graham did not want to be there what he yeah like we thought okay we're gonna ease him into it and right out of the gate like i don't want to do this and then um, I, we kind of messed up and we took him on a, a, a roller coaster with, uh-huh. we, we gave him a popsicle Yeah. and he followed us in line, uh-huh. didn't say a word, just ate his popsicle, happy as a clam, yep. got in the thing. And he's like, well, is, this is this the train ride? <laughs> and it's, there's like this one ride called um, Expedition Everest and yep. like it goes up, the tracks are like bent up and then you go backwards like oh, fast. Yeah. It, it ruined it. And uh, he kind of, he was okay in the Star Wars thing. But for me, uh, if you're a fan of Star Wars, and this is not, I know, like, I'm not getting paid to say this or nothing. Uh, you have to go to Galaxy's Edge. It is the coolest thing in the galaxy. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I really love it. I'm not a Disney person. I'm not really a theme park person. You know, I don't like crowds, but I, I think I want to go see Galaxy's Edge. It, as soon as you walk in and like you like go through like this tunnel and it's just there and there's no there's a little bit of English strewn about there's like exit signs and stuff mm-hmm. but the majority of all the language all the signs it's all in arabesh like the Star Wars language so there's like there's no like it's like what where where am I what is this you have to like look into things to see what it is or like look at the app or something but That's cool. it really is immersive and um like they don't even call like money like when they tell you how much something is, they say it's credits. Nice. And like, you know, here's your docking slip for your receipt and things <laughs> nice. like that. It's like, it, that's cool. We, we went twice and, um, I was just, I, I don't know, a little kid. Morgan got a video of me seeing the William Falcon for the first time. <laughs> and like, I thought I would cry. And, and then I, I got pretty, pretty close, like for clamped. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, how are you? Uh, good. Quick little tangential story. Uh, speaking of being terrified of Disney, do you remember in the nineties, they had this ride at magic kingdom. It wasn't a ride. It was like this immersive experience that was like a horror ride of the alien thing. 
Oh, that's at Hollywood Studios where you go into Groman's Chinese Theater and it like comes no, no, out of the ceiling. No, 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 no. This was a thing. It's not there anymore, but I saw a TikTok on it recently. This legitimately traumatized me as a kid. It was this, you think Disney World, Magic Kingdom. It was Magic Kingdom, I believe. And it was this whole like space themed ride. And my oh, dad oh. took me on it. And it was this room where like you, that you walk into this like, round auditorium thing where there's this big like mm-hmm. chamber in the middle and you get strapped into a seat and the whole story yeah. is this tr- dude people alien who, escapes and you like feel it breathing on you and, yes okay yeah i if remember you, that if you know what i'm talking about leave a comment down below i did it when i was like nine years old <laughs> that's too and young. It legitimately terrified me traumatized me i was screaming bloody murder and there were i was screaming so bad that people around me were like with my dad everyone was trying to calm me down people on the ride were like no no, no it's okay it's okay it's a ride dude they got rid of it i think not too long ago yeah, but it was in tomorrowland that's where it tomorrowland. was tomorrowland yeah that's it yeah yeah i remember that i remember riding it pretty early like when i was a little kid and i loved it i but hated it, was, it it was scary <laughs> it was so scary man so scary so yeah i'm with graham disney world's terrifying um <laughs> We're good, man. We just got back. We were on the road for two weeks uh, traveling. So my wife, Tilly, is a photographer, and uh, she has really gotten into the pro cycling world. So there were two big bike races that we went to go shoot. One was called Unbound in Emporia, Kansas, and it is a gravel race. So this is a huge event. There's over 4,000 riders, everything from like world tour pros, like riders that race the tour de France all the way down to like people that just wanted to go out and see if they could complete it. There's three races, a hundred mile, the 200 mile, which is the main event and the XL, which is the 350 mile. So the, the XL riders started the day before the main event and the last rider on the XL finished in like just over 48 hours. It took them. The winner of the XL, I think, was uh, 22 or 24 hours, something like that. 350 miles on your bicycle. Um, what do you win? I think you win Fred? a little bit of money, but it's like, yeah, you won Unbound XL, which is like, okay. as bragging rights go, it's pretty great. But we chased, uh, so Tilly being a photographer, it's this race across the farmland in central Kansas, which is gorgeous, by the way. Flint Hills is amazing. And there's all these like long straight dirt roads and a grid pattern. And we were chasing the lead men's group. So the pro group. And uh, it was awesome, man. We were hauling ass down dirt roads, like looking at the GPS, following where the lead group was so that she could get into position to get shots. And then we would chase them and like go cut them off and, and get shots. So that was, that was great. And then uh, the following weekend we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a big, crit race criterium race which is like it's it's brutal it's gnarly crashes and super fast and everything we were there with josh scott uh of jhs fame he was also shooting the race so it was great man tilly's a badass she was shooting uh for those camera nerds out there she was shooting a pro cycling event really fast action on a mamiya 7 120 uh film camera and a leica m6 and a little bit of digital. But if you know about cameras, you know that those are not easy to shoot high speed events. And she's killing well, it. So now that you're you you you've been chasing them them cyclists, you can start chasing you can go back to Kansas and start chasing tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As someone who's grown up in the southeast, 
and knows about tornadoes and has experienced a few, I don't think I'm going to, that's not my story. No, no. My, my enclosure guy, Jacob F5, he, he, he was, yeah, he's out there in like Oklahoma and he'll just send me video. He's like, look at this storm. And he'll like send me a video on his phone. I'm like, dude, you need to move. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, dude, it's actually a little worse here though, because we have, we don't have just as many tornadoes as they do, but we're pretty close. And the difference is here in the Southeast, we have trees everywhere. Whereas out there, like you can see for miles and miles and miles. So you can see the damn thing coming here. And it's like what happened in Nashville a few years ago, or or we've had tornadoes hit Atlanta. It's like, you don't know the damn things there until it's right on top of you. So, right. Anyways, that's enough meteor, meteor, (laughs) meteorology talk for today. Uh, (laughs) I want to quickly thank our patrons. If you would like to support Dipped in Tone and get access to special tiers, special features like being able to join in while we're recording live and a specific Discord server that is for patrons only, you can sign up for our Patreon link down below in the description. It's a great way to support the channel, helps us uh, keep going over here, and we greatly appreciate the support. That's right. And certain tiers get discounts on, on merch and stuff from Rhett, myself, and uh, you can get discounts on all Mythos stuff if you want to buy it yeah. from us, which you can do, which is exclusive to certain tiers on on Patreon. So click that link, check it out, and um, get early access too, which is a big thing. We're gonna we're gonna start um, trying to be more proactive on the Patreon. It's it's it run you know we have our hands in a lot of in our in a lot of pots and stuff. So it's yeah. uh, we're pretty busy, but um, there is. Uh, the, the the rig dipping. Can I just ask all of our our lovely patrons? So, if you want to get your rig dipped, um, please submit it on on Discord with a single quality photo. That's how you do it. We get yeah. we get asked that question a bit. Join the Patreon. You can submit your rig for dipping. But also, we need to thank Stumac as the sponsor of this episode. Go to stumac.com slash dipped in tone. Get ten percent off your order. Rhett, what do you need to work on? uh this summer on your guitar what do you need well i actually have a couple of things i need to swap some pickups around um Mm -hmm. and i actually need to pick up a few things pun intended uh so little odds and ends for my soldering iron you know some some just general guitar maintenance stuff some tools stuff and stumac is the place to go for all of that and speaking of soldering if you don't know how to solder you should it's easy it's something that every guitar player, I believe, every electric guitar player specifically, should know how to do because it allows you to get into working on your guitar, swapping pickups, making custom cables, making patch cables to length, repairing cables, doing some general maintenance stuff. And uh, you want to pick up, you know, basic soldering iron kit, any of your, you know, odds and ends when it comes to soldering, pickup changing, guitar setup, guitar care, guitar maintenance, all that stuff is on Stumac. Check out the link in the description and... Uh, Thank you to Stumac for supporting Dip and Tone. Absolutely. Yeah, there's I just I'm looking at their soldering tools on their website. Uh a pen soldering iron, which is like just a it it looks like a pen and you plug it into the wall. $17. That and some solder. You, if you're on the road, if you're gigging, if you're going to be gone for a minute, there's no reason not to have it in a bag somewhere. Yep. Yep. So, and check also it to out. our Stumac. English friends across the pond, it's solder, not solder. You know, yeah, whatever. It's, you know, Anyway, <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. Thanks, Stu Mac. Okay, so very, very special guest today on Tipped and Tone. This is a big moment for us. Yes. Like, and we've had some amazing guests on this show. Uh, 
but today we've got Eric Johnson. Yes, we so do. <laughs> we've talked enough. Let's go talk to the one and only Eric Johnson. Eric, thank you uh, so much for joining us, man. It is it is an honor to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thanks, Red. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. I uh, I met you once when I, I worked at Carter Vintage for a time. Oh, and, did you uh, really? Okay, and you came by and. Yeah, and it was uh, it was very cool. It was you and um, and a couple other players swung by and, was and hung out, and it was it was quite the experience. Was that with Steve Warner? When it, yes, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were checking out some Martins. There was a Martin there that he really was enthralled with, and he was trying to decide whether to get it or not. Yeah. Did he end yeah. up getting it? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think he might I have. Remember. I don't know. Well, yeah. Again, it's a, it's a great honor to get to talk to uh, you, and and thanks for coming on the of podcast. Course. And uh, my pleasure. Yeah, man, we uh, we we've got some questions for you today about tone and sound, and specifically how you developed your sound and your tone, because you're one of those players that is instantly recognizable by not just your your playing and your writing and your composition, but also just your guitar sound. Mm. So, can you kind of take us through the early days of you know when you were when you were starting to find that you know was with the strat and and the fuzz and and the marshall and all that kind of stuff where did all that stuff start for you i think it starts with your intention and your design of your vision and so for better or for worse i fell in love with music all types of music and my dad you know played all styles of music so i was like wow you know there's great music in every style and then when i got into guitar i was like oh, there's great guitar in every style as well so i really was enamored with all the different um styles of guitar music and of course they all had different tones so when it came time for me to try to put together my thing i was like well i like this i like that i like that i like that and it was really just a a hodgepodge of of homogenizing a bunch of different things that I loved, you know. And I was always drawn to when the guitar kind of almost like became bigger than life or uh, kind of like there's a certain expectancy of the guitar sound. And then every every now and then it kind of comes out of that realm. And it's like, wow, that, you know, like, like, for example, like happening 10 years time ago by the Yardbirds, that solo, it almost sounds like a violin. And it's just it's just amazing. You know, and you think about the time or the or there's there's a couple licks on the Nazar Blue where it's like I, I just I remember just like just freaking out going, you know, that's more out of the realm of guitar than normal. Or, you know, like on Sgt. Pepper, when, uh, of course, I found out that that was Paul McCartney playing the guitar, but that, you know, did it, did it, did it, did it. I ne- I've, to this day, I can't play that like that. Or, or the solo on Good Morning. You know, it's just got this thing that's like beyond the realm of expected guitar. And then it just continued, you know, like with, you know, May This Be Love, our experience, you know, it's like so bigger than life, really. And, and then... um Wes Montgomery, you know, he plays two notes and it's like, you know who he is. And he he uh, envelops you into the love of guitar more than just the notes he's playing. It's the it's that intention of tone. So that was just my premise. I mean, I, and so I went about trying to put together all the things that I like um, 
And really, I'd say three-fourths of it comes from just your intention and, and the way you play guitar, the way you pick the guitar, the way you mute the guitar, uh, the way you finger, you know, the, the frets. Um, and that that's why you'll, you can take a lot of different players and put them on any kind of gear, and they're still going to kind of sound like them, you know? The gear is really secondary, and I, I wish I wish I could say that I always ascribe to that belief. You know, I went through years and years of oh no, the gear, you know, and and I still do to a certain extent, but I've become a little bit more detached from it because it really it's like a rabbit hole, you know. And I I would say to anybody chasing that, don't don't go so deep in the rabbit hole that you just analyze too much because you can really saw BBs and analyze too much and you put something that's uh, it's part of the part of the thing, but it's not the the main part of the thing. It really, it's kind of got to leave some of it to the mystery. But you know, there's certain things I you know I love. I mean, you know, the old Marshalls sound. They're they're really they're just super simple circuitry, like a like they came up with in the late '40s with the tweed basement, you know. And it the a lot of times the simpler the path of the electronics the more pure the tonality is so that's kind of what i like thinking about you know what drives because you, you you just said you're kind of taking a step back of being so heady about the gear maybe is is there something that's driving your search for new techniques or new sounds now that's more that lives more in the instrument and not in and things on a pedal board or in an amplifier or something like what, what inspires you like these days uh, for chasing new sounds and things like that? I think it's just experimenting with musical ideas and um, it's, you know, it's cool to use weird pedals in the studio, but where do you draw the line? If you, if you, Oh yeah, and I got this and that, they don't try to get this. I mean, you really got to go like digital with like a, a neural DSP or something, which is pretty exciting. Uh, new technology, I think, compared to where we were, you know, it's getting better and better and better. But otherwise, you'd have to have a 40 foot pedal board, you know, you just at some point got to go, you know, I'm just going to use what. So really, I think it's more just kind of, um, you know, experimenting with the guitar and, and kind of trying to come up with, you know, music stuff that, that inspires you or takes you somewhere different. So you mentioned a moment ago, you know, you used to be like Zach was saying more heady about the gear and you've gotten out of that, but you mentioned that there's still a few things that you're, you're pretty intentional about. What, what are those things? Well, you know, I, I'd love to, to be able to use, um, I think there's a lot of new gear made that sounds great. It's just a different sound. You know, it's not, it doesn't sound like the, the, the my mentors and heroes that I grew up on with that just that real kind of natural guitar sound I think or what I would consider a natural guitar tone and so I I'm just pretty pretty much into that so I just uh, you know kind of use a lot of the the older stuff you know um, I I do experiment you know with new stuff every now and then it's like um, I don't know. I just can't really quite get it. It's really how it tracks when you play, when you really lean into it, when you really push, push the envelope of what you're playing, you know, how's, how's the 
the envelope um, expanding and contracting, you know, with the, 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 the dampening of the amp? How is it, how is it following suit with your picking technique? And a lot of stuff just, mm. it doesn't follow with your picking technique, if you know what I mean. You can feel it kind of fighting you. And that's not, to me, that's not as uh, inspiring of a thing. So I just look for something that kind of follows the picking technique as much as possible, you know. Would you say that it's like, it feels like an amp, so the, the, some of the newer stuff that you've played, Sometimes the way I like to think about it is is it almost feels like there's a blanket or something over the speaker cabinet, whereas some, you know, either older vintage amps or modern amps that are more, um, you know, like I, I love Divided by 13 and, and Two Rock and a lot of these sort of hand wired intentionally built amps where it feels like everything that you put into the amplifier is represented good and bad. And if you are you know, a player like yourself where you have so much control and nuance and detail over what you're putting into the guitar. That's what you want the amp to do is to accurately represent everything. Or do you want the amp to kind of add some kind of color or character of its own? Well, I think it's exactly what you say. The, the real, um, and, and, um, that's part of it. I think the more you push an amp, like if you really want a really distorted, sustainy legato sound, you're really pushing that amp. You know, you're really turning it up on the front end. So it's going to obviously show up more blemishes that way, or not blemishes, more impasses that affect your picking technique. And I've found the simpler the circuitry, usually there's less uh, stuff getting in the way. Of that, and then uh, there's a little happy accident that happens with some of those, just the dampening of the speakers and the compression of the amp. You know, a lot of the old transformers they kind of they kind of give it up, you know, and so it's it's kind of a um, it's kind of a a a, a a a fault with the technical value of the parts that works in your favor, if you know what I mean. Mm. But I, I I think it could be. It could be uh, the same as if you have a piece of old wood on a guitar and it's it's not as staunch, you know. It's kind of giving it up. It's got it's got uh, it's got faults in it, you know. Maybe it's got cracks in it or it's got uh, holes in the wood from microorganisms or whatever. Um, you know, one of the Steinway founders said that his favorite. Uh, vintage Steinway pianos were the ones that had cracks in the soundboard, mm. you know, and a lot of people are like, Oh, there's a crack in the soundboard. Let's replace the soundboard on the piano, you know, but a lot of people go, well, sometimes that can work for you. So it's, and it is a mystery, you know, but, but um, I, I know that like I had a guitar once that was a beautiful sounding guitar and, and it, it fell, cracked the whole front and, I had wired the whole inside myself. It looked like a rat's nest inside, just bad solder jobs and funky wiring. And it was, but I just went, you know, it sounds great. I'll leave it off. But when I, when everything broke, I had to get a new pit guard and new wiring and stuff, and it never sounded the same, you know. So it was wired correctly. It was wired better and correctly, and it didn't sound as good, you know. And a lot of companies will make something that just, you know, they end up falling on something that's like, wow, that sounds amazing. And then they go back and go, but let me improve it, you know, 
And and you know how things on the market. I mean, there's tons of stuff. Is like, oh, we've improved it now, and it's like, well, the original is really better, mm. you know. Because sometimes that it's like a first take and recording, you know. Sometimes you get a vibe on the first take, and then and you, well, let me try it again, and you do ten more takes, but they might not have the same vibe, you know. And there's a lot of pedals and amps that I I feel are kind of like that, you know. You hit it on the first. Sometimes you, there's a certain magic on the first take, you know. Yeah, you you. You start to look at efficiencies and things to make it, you know, sometimes it's better from a production standpoint. Uh, speaking as a, as a right. pedal builder myself, you know, um, sometimes you, you think, oh, well, if we just, you know, move this wire or this pad or something, uh, it's, it's going to save a minute or two minutes in assembly, but it, it adds capacitance. Right. It adds, you know, there's, there may be an improvement to the signal, which, like like in the case of the Strat, if there's a bunch of wire in there, all that wire, it, it the signal's going through all of it. And so it takes longer to get yeah. where it's going. And so that changes the sound in a big way. Yeah. So it's definitely yeah. something that that people, you have to consider, you have to, that one thing that, that I think a lot of people have to do is listen with their ears and not, you know, stare slowly at a schematic. But talking about the amps, right. I think a big thing about, and something that when you've played, loud you understand that there's a give and take that happens with with a nice amplifier and something that a lot of people that are coming up now might not understand as good as as some of these digital things are these amps are almost an instrument in and of themselves that you have to learn to manipulate just like a guitar and i think you know it's an interesting way to to look at playing loud and and and, and choosing an mm. amplifier is that it reacts to you as a player and not everyone I think thinks about that in that way if if you've never experienced yeah. it. Well, and maybe you need to have a well, it, I guess it just depends on what you're going for, you know, and there's so much great music now that goes for a, a certain thing and, and you just have to have a point of reference, I guess, and everybody has a different point of reference. And once you you get in your head that point of reference then then it's like, oh, no, that's not it. That's not it. That oh, no, that's closer to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it it's cool. It's um, it's it's yeah. It's cool to find that when it gets close to what you're really hearing. So you mentioned like neural DSP earlier. Are you using any modelers or any of the sort of more modern stuff now on a regular basis? Is there anything that you found that you really dig? I'm experimenting with the neural DSP right now, and we're capturing sounds. Um, and I'm going to keep capturing sounds on it. The company's been gracious to kind of allow me to work with a unit and, and then return it whenever I, you know, or whatever. They're like, well, see what you can do with this. And I, I'm, I'm kind of encouraged. I mean, I think that, that that concept gets better all the time. I don't know if it'll ever completely replace the stuff. But I mean, I, I've been working with this neural, we've done some, a few captures so far. And I'm like, wow, well, that's, I could, uh, you know, I don't know, I could, um, I could always use that. <laughs> you know, it's pretty close, you know, and so I just want to, I'm going to continue working with it and see, see what I can do with it. It, it won't, you can't do fuzzes with it, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it doesn't, it just doesn't. The fuzz thing is just, that's probably, one, that's a really tough deal, you know. I mean, who knows why a you know, some of the old fuzz faces aren't good, but some of them are just amazing. And who knows why? You know, I have so many times I, I work with a technical person now, Bill Webb, who's a real genius. And 
he can re he takes the pots apart and fixes the original pot and puts it back in so nothing gets changed you know what i mean but i can't think of how many wonderful old fuzz faces that you know they work great and two weeks later the pot goes out and then you change the pot and it's like well here i'll just get rid of the unit i mean it just it's like why makes you know one wire on those things they're in the most fickle pedal ever made but within that they're they're the most magical when they're right you know but i've i've you know and and i you know worked with with dumb and we spent two years designing a fuzz face and we got close i mean i like i actually use it some but that's probably the hardest thing I ever tried. I mean, it's just, it's not easy. And and we made a lot more headway once we degraded the pots and degraded the wires. Mm. You know, we start off with, you know, better parts and it just sounded terrible. <laughs> and so we started putting, you know, we started copying the funky pots. So it's really, um, I think part of it is really hard to, to um, figure out, you know, it's just a mystery a little bit, you know. Mm. What is it that you look for in in a vintage fuzz face? Because that's something that they're they're all like you said they're all so different. They all have their own fingerprint to them. And you know, for you, you're you're known as as a guy that has made use of this the circuit for for a while. So, what is it that that you look for in that circuit? First off, to where you can turn the fuzz up pretty high and the saturation stays real smooth and harmonic. Some of them stay real, real smooth and violin-y and others start, you know, sounding real piecey, you mm. know, and kind of discorporating. Um, when you get some that you can really turn the gain up and they're just really like, I mean, you like, like, you know, love or confusion on our experience. It's like, that's a perfect example. I mean, that, or are the, I don't know if you've ever heard the soloed out guitar track of Third Stone from the Sun. You just listen to the t- guitar track by itself. That, that it's, uh, I think you can get it on YouTube. And it's just like the most amazing fuzz face sound you've ever heard. So there's a benchmark for me. I listen to that and go, man, that is just, if I can ever get close to getting ones that do that. And it's just being, having the, the luxury of getting it as saturated as you want without it getting discorporated and picky and glitchy sounding. You know? uh-huh. The mystery part is, is having that, that saturation gain. You know, it's really hard to get like super gain. And, you know, like sometimes you'll get an old phosphate that's got tons, not not volume gain, but saturation gain. You get some that have this amazing amount of saturation. And it's like, you don't, I don't know. I don't know why some do and some don't. But, and then it's it's just really cool when they, when they do that. So when, when it comes to, you know, younger players, players that have, you know, been playing for the last 10 years or so and, and, with with the proliferation of things like modelers and now plugins, many young players have been playing for years and and become really great players, having never touched an actual amplifier, well, an actual amp, a tube amp, an analog amp. You know, they're using plugins in their DAW, or they're using, you know, modeling hardware. So you mentioned, you know. I agree with you that I don't know that the modeling stuff will ever re- fully replace the analog tube amp for for a lot of players. But what what would you say to those younger players who maybe haven't experienced the real thing, for lack of a better word, and who maybe aren't convinced that it's worth it? Well, and they might have a point. I think it depends. They've probably, you know, if you get a sound that, that pleases you and makes you want to practice and create and write, 
And then you've built your thing around that. And possibly a lot of them would play it on that and go, well, this is not, I can't get my thing with this old tube amp, you know? So it's really, I think it's, um, it depends on the player. I, uh, I, I won't name the person, a friend of mine, but he's, he's a wonderful player and he uses uh, digital and he's great. And one day a friend of mine brought out a, an old, old, old uh, JTM 45 and he played through it. I went, oh man, I <laughs> said, he sounded awesome. I was like, wow, you, you need to just play through that, you know, but that was my opinion. And that was a particular player that had good technique and he, you know, he was able to play into it. You have to kind of negotiate the medium. You know what I mean? Like an artist has to negotiate the medium of the viscosity of the paint and the particular horse hairs or whatever on the paintbrush. Anybody has to negotiate the medium, a race car driver, you know, he has to learn the nuances and negotiate that. So it depends on the players. Um, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting to think, I mean, maybe this whole existence on the physical plane is a version of digital but maybe it's such an organic digital that we don't realize, you know, the digital thing has gotten so awesome that we don't, re it, because it's so organic that we don't realize it. So I don't know, maybe we're just making generations of digital replica replicas, but everything's always been digital. I don't know, but uh, I think it depends on the player, you know? I love that answer. The idea of negotiating the medium, like one is not inherently better than the to. other. You really have to, and and um, I think that you know the the humbling thing that I've that I've learned is you know I've tried to manipulate that medium to the nth degree because I had this vision of wanting to transmute the guitar into this one plus one equals three and have it sound like something that's never happened before. But you, man, I mean, it, it, there's too many variables. There's the 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 sacred geometry is too huge it's the mandala is too complicated you know what i mean and it's like to think it's it's really preposterous and kind of you know to be really honest it's kind of egotistical for me to sit and think okay i'll get one section of the mandala right now let's move to section two section three section four five and that that was my thought process which i look at it now and go Really? I mean, how did you ever think that would work? You know, but you're kind of driven by this vision of a sound you want to transmute into something you've never had. I, I had this dream of creating, of, you know, just going to another dimension with guitar tone. And I, and I didn't know any other way to do it. But that that way is completely foiled from day one because it's it's the juxtaposition of all the nuances, you know. So some of it you just have to let go and let it happen, you know. Mm. That's so cool. And and that's why when you keep it so simple, you have a better percentage chance of of hitting something. You know, not that you can't when it's real complicated, but you increase the you increase the uh, the chances of not hitting it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I really love that answer. Recently, and I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but. A PRS prototype showed up at a at the Dallas Guitar Show that was supposedly made for you, and like no information was about it. It just it just had the. Can you talk about that guitar? Um, was that the one that was kind of shaped like a moss, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a cool guitar. Um, I've always loved the way Moss Wrights looked. I just think there's this really cool looking guitars, and they. I could never get them to work for me personally, tone wise, but I always wanted to. I'd always run across them and I'd take them to the studio and go, okay, I got to make this work because it looks so cool, you know? And I never did get one and change the pickups and that whole thing. I just, but, uh, you know, I was talking to Paul and say, man, why, why don't we make a Moss Wright, a Moss Wright body, but, you know, with strap pickups. And so that's what he did. Okay. Cause that's when I first saw it, I thought, man, that is the wildest looking PRS I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it does, it does. It has that, the, that sort of offset Moss, right. Sort of vibe, you know, very sixties yeah. looking <laughs> guitar, surf guitar. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I think everyone saw it and thought, well, where did that come from? You know, I think yeah, it was right. pretty confusing yeah. for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's strange looking guitar actually. Yeah. Well, and also recently, well, a few years ago, apparently you were working on a, a drive circuit that was going to go in a Strat. I saw some like photos of that. I did. Yeah, Bill Webb and I built one, and I sent it to Fender. Uh, it's cool. It it didn't quite. Um, I never got it to where it's like, oh, this is unbelievable because it. Uh, but it's still a it's still a chance of doing something with that. It it. Um, it seemed really. Uh, it was. It was kind of difficult because if when it was next to the electronics of the guitar, that affected. So we tried putting it somewhere else on the guitar, and and uh, and then it just boils down to well, what kind of drive circuit are you going to use? You know, right? You're so married to it. Yeah, I just thought. I thought, well, it'd be cool to have something where you could just walk on and stage and sit in with anybody and just uh -huh. not have anything at all just walk on stage and plug in and play. Yeah. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Cause you could have like several different sounds and that was kind of the, the reason I did it. That's awesome. So I want to, I want to go back to the, the playing side of things for a little bit. You know, you've, you've talked about your influences and, and you know, the West Montgomery's and the Hendrixes and, and everything. Who, who are you listening to today in terms of the modern sort of guitar players? Who's out there that's really, sort of capturing your attention and, and inspiring you? I think, you know, Julian Lange is really great. I like him a lot. Um, I don't know how modern uh, or how new, you know, I like Bill Frizzell. Um, he's, he's been around a long time though. I, I guess I'm, I don't listen to a lot of a new players. I think I, you know, I'm trying to, I can't, I can't remember his name, the Italian player that plays with his fingers. Oh, uh, Mancuso, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's yes, a beautiful yes. player, and he's so he's so um, versatile. Yeah, you know? I was watching any style. I heard him. He plays rock. He plays Django. You know, he's yeah. And his technique amazing. with the right hand is. I, I was watching a video of him a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. and just mm -hmm. um, there, there's a great uh, transcriber uh, based out of London named Luke Bowman. Who um, shout out to him uh -huh. on Instagram. He does these amazing transcriptions, and he transcribed one of his solos, and it's wild to watch him do it while watching the tab go by underneath the video and, oh, and seeing yeah, how yeah. how he can just phrase these ideas because of his his right hand is wild yeah yeah it's really cool using your fingers i mean it does a whole it opens up a whole nother dimension doing that yeah that's awesome and i agree with you on julian lodge i mean i i think 
you know, in terms of this discussion we're having about sound and a unique sound, I think he has some of the best guitar sound, guitar tone I've ever heard. In terms of a pure mm -hmm. guitar and amplifier yeah, and player yeah. together, he's amazing. Yeah, and that that is, uh, you know, it's it's really hard to to get both sides of the fence, you know. But I just recently I've been like playing a guitar straight into an old Fender amp, you know, and just cranking up the amp and go, God, this just sounds great. And the picking is just everything about it is so beautiful. But then it's like, well, I don't have the gain. And, you know, you don't have enough gain. And, oh, I got to put this pedal in. But there's something really nice about just that simplicity. You know, I wish somebody could make a, a Fender amp that went to like 15 instead of 10, you know, <laughs> but not change the tone, you know, because the circuitry in a, a blackface fender is the tone circuit is in a different place in the, it's not in the place of the tweed amps. He, uh, Leo changed where he put the tone, but th there's a certain, I mean, I usually just use fenders for a clean tone, but sometimes I experiment with cranking them up and go, God, that's just a great sound, you know, and it's different, different than the, the tweed or the Marshall sound. How important is stage volume to you? Well, nowadays I I really trying to turn my volume down because I want to preserve my hearing, and I'm getting older, and um, or I am older, I guess, and I don't I want to preserve my hearing, and it, you know you you can only go so long playing at deafening levels, you know, and I just have zero interest in, and I'd really advise any players to be very careful about that, you know. I've been experimenting with um, making. Uh, my friend Max made me these uh, baffles, which sections off some of the speakers in the 412. So you only have one or two speakers instead of all four. And it's, it's like it lowers the volume, you know. Has that impacted your sound? Uh, no, not too bad, actually. But what does impact the sound is if you start turning stuff down too much, you know. Like if I, okay, I've got a 50-watt Marshall, but I'm going to put it on seven instead of nine or, you know. And it does affect. It affected, or you know, I use these old Fender amps for rhythm, and it's like I want to turn them down to two instead of three, and it's like ah, yeah, it's not quite the same, you know. It it works, and I've actually heard on recording go, well, it's not bad. It just doesn't quite have. It's like a smaller wave to surf on, you know. But then again, you know, sometimes if I use really small amps, that's hard to find ones that have that sound too. You know, they have a different sound, but for my thing, it, it can be hard. But yeah, I mean, that's a struggle right now to just keep keep the volume from getting out of hand, you know. Mm. I think that is one thing about a lot of modern acts is uh, now more and more artists and or venues want as little stage volume as possible. And uh, oftentimes that means guitar players are playing with no amps on stage, or if they're playing with a modeler, there's no kind of speaker or anything on stage other than maybe a, a wedge. And I, I think that, that that takes something away from the guitar sound, because I think an important part of the electric guitar sound is the relationship between the guitar and the speakers in the same space mm -hmm. interacting together. I mean, can you speak True. on that? Yeah, no, um, definitely. You know the amp is part of the instrument, so they they're like a both both part of the instrument, yeah. And that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. Well, how do you do that with the digital stuff? You know, um, how do you get that 
relationship of the two pieces. It's a total different mindset using that stuff because yeah. it's it's oftentimes like a, a better representation of of what a recording would be and not mm-hmm. the amp over there, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. Speaking yeah. to you know the new generation and people, you know, you're you have such a a signature sound and it, it is inherent in you. And when you play, you know, it's, it's something that people know when, when you pick up a guitar and play it, but for people that are searching for that, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to find their own identity on the instrument? I think try to um, make a list of your favorite players, you know, and how they sound, how they play, how they go about, putting their art on the guitar and and then just maybe make your own version of of those uh those players you know put them together it's like you know a lot of great cooks you know they take old recipes and they tweak them you know i like that what this person does in this but they put this in that and then they make their own recipe from a lot of different sources but um you have to also kind of develop a, 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 a um, kind of a vision of how you want it to sound inside your head. You know, you got to have a sonic vision so you have something, something to go to. You know, it's like you know you you have a big, big block of stone and you you remove the stone to show the statue. You know, but you had a vision of the statue before you started removing the stone that was in the way, you know. So I think those two things are, are the best way to to go about it, you know. And, and and also just recording what you're doing, you know, having and it doesn't mean you have to be in the most fancy studio. You can just sit at home on, on your laptop, but recording yourself, it, it gives you a real time, realistic um thing of what you're really doing instead of just you know if you're just doing it in your head sometimes you can like pontificate that it's better than it might be you know what i mean you hear it back and go oh okay and then you (laughs) you have a reality check of where where to work on what you want to do or tweak it you know so going off that i mean have you ever experienced periods of of like being in a rut in terms of your playing and if so how did you break out of that yeah i feel like i'm kind of in a little bit of a rut right now because i'm like where what do i do where where do i go what you know i don't want to go to okay i'll write i'll work on this new song oh it's just like the other song i'm using the same you know i'm kind of searching right now but i think you just kind of you know you just play through it and and you experiment you try to shake it up and just do stuff stuff you normally don't do um and be just patient with yourself, you know. What's next? Uh, what's next for you? What What do you got coming up uh, in the wide world of music and guitar, Eric? Well, um, I'm going to do a, a long tour in the fall of the East Coast of U.S. You coming through Atlanta on that East Coast tour? Uh, we just played Atlanta about a month ago. Yeah. So I don't think we'll be playing there again. Well, Eric, we really appreciate you coming on. This was you. You dropped some really really great wisdom on on this stuff and it's so cool to get to talk to someone like you who has such a unique and signature sound 
uh, as an artist on, on the guitar. And so I really appreciate your insight and we really appreciate you coming on, man. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that was genuinely awesome. Yeah. Like he dropped some real, like insightful, super like heady (laughs) ideas about like an approach to, to making sounds and playing your guitar, which is like, I'm all, I'm into that. Like people that really dive deep into like the thought process of something is is so cool. Well, he's so much farther along in his journey of sound than you or I are like cuz he's gone through that period of being super detailed and super nuanced with all of the different, you know, variables and trying to control everything about his rig and he's kind of come through the other side of that and he's looking across at us on the other end of the ravine and saying you don't need to worry about all that. This this is how you need to think about it. So I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm going to go back and listen to this episode again and, and try and uh, internalize some of what he was talking about. Because again, like when it comes to developing your own sound and your own voice on the instrument, few people have done it as well as Eric Johnson. So Right. And, and such an influence on like players across, you know, uh, generations across genres. Um, I don't know. It just seems like such a humble and, and, and just easygoing guy that has focused so hard. And it's really cool to like learn, get a peek behind the curtain as to what's going on back there, what he's thinking about when he's putting his fingers on the, the fretboard. Yeah. Amazing. So thanks again to Eric for coming on the show. Um, it's time to chill. Oh, you go first. All right, I'll go first. I have a picture, and it's here. So this I bought in Tulsa this past week from uh, Guitar House of Tulsa. This is not a guitar, not a pedal, not an amp. It is a Roland JX-3P synthesizer with the PG-200 controller. Now, um, before all your, your guitar player eyes glaze over, stick with me for a minute here. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, f- <laughs> keyboard, dude, whatever. He's going to uh, make like a Stranger Things soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is genuinely cool. Um, I've been getting more and more into synthesis and, and like exploring other instruments for a while. And I actually think it's kind of made me a better guitar player in some ways, but that's a whole other discussion. This mm. is a, I believe a six voice poly synth from I think the late eighties people that know more about synths can comment down below and correct me. I wasn't looking for one of these, but I saw it on the stand at guitar house when we were there checking out and I started, I plugged it into this like Rivera amp that was sitting underneath it. And I started playing some chords and just hitting the preset buttons. And I was like, Oh, that's a cool sound. Oh, that's a cool sound. Oh, that's a cool sound. And then the module on top of it, the PG 200, this is the first Roland synth with MIDI in and out. Mm. And so that PG 200 gives you um, control over like the filters and it gives you uh, the chorusing. This is pretty similar, I believe to the Juno. Like I think they came out around the same time. Again, Mm -hmm. synth nerds can correct me. Uh, I'm, I'm very much a novice when it comes to this stuff, but it's a really cool poly synth from the eighties and I got a good deal on it and it looks cool. I mean, look at the buttons, man. Like, yeah, the buttons are great. Um, and I, I do have a question though, and it's mildly serious, but I think when concerning vintage synthesizers, this should be talked about. Does it have wood paneling on it anywhere? This one does not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Swing and a miss, Rhett. Sorry. 
My 388, <laughs> though, which is sitting right here, does have wood paneling on it. So that's, that's that okay. makes up for something. I mean, you All can right. get, you know, buy a profit or something. It's got wood. Or you just go, just go down to your local, uh, you know, scrapyard or w- like wood scrapyard and get some some veneer and glue it on there. For, or go <laughs> to the, the pick apart place and, and go find one of those old Chrysler minivans and pull the, the fake wood veneer off the side of that. Yes, and put yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, my shill is, is guitar related and it's this. It's the. Uh, the victory, the copper. This is the VC thirty five uh, lunchbox head, and I got this a while ago, and and uh, I um, very quickly blew it up <laughs> uh, because one of the tubes just it literally the, a tube shattered. I, I was taking them out, and the glass it was split around the base of the tube, which I hadn't seen that happen uh, before. Um, but before that happened. <laughs> It sounded great, and uh, it still sounds great now that I've retubed it. But I needed a Vox amp, and I do not want to spend money on a vintage Vox. I don't want to buy a British one because I don't need a big combo. I don't like the current production Vox. Sorry, Vox. Yeah. Sorry, Vox. Uh, but I like these, and Victory is great. And uh, so got this, and now I have a Vox sound so in the arsenal. I had the Sheriff 22 for a while, yes. which is the, like the Marshall E version of that head. It was fantastic, man. Like yeah. for the size and the weight, it had plenty of volume, plenty of output. Uh, you could knock the power output down to like, what is it? 0.5 Watts or something on the back. Yeah. I, th- I think they're all different. This one is just like a, a 15 or 30, but some of the other ones can go a lot further. This one doesn't. Yeah. The sheriff was great too, because it had two channels. One was like a JTM 45 and one was more like a, I think like a metal panel JCM. Uh, so, or JTM. So it was like, I'm sorry, JMP. So it was more, yeah. uh, had more gain. Fantastic amp, man. It sounded really, really good. Um, and if you're gigging a lot and you want something small and compact, that victory series of stuff is killer. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really happy with it. The only, the only bad thing is anytime I get a new amp, and you're probably like this, you're like, I really need a matching cab to go with Yeah, that. the cab thing is is a, yeah, it's a thing. But if you bought a vintage AC30 combo, the good news is it's the head and the cab in one box. Well, there is that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I have a vintage AC30, and it is glorious. Well, you just loan it to me sometime. Uh, thanks again to our mighty patrons over there on patreon.com. Uh, click the link in the description. Learn about the tiers. Support the show. Would you? You get some cool bonuses and and perks for uh, for joining up, becoming a dipster yourself. <laughs> a dipster, that's not what we call them. They named themselves. Go look at the comments in the last one. They 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 claimed it. So you yeah, know, yeah, that's on know, them they, at this point. They named um, it. I'm just gonna call them dipsters because I'm a dad and I have to like uh, like uh, to smooth out any cursing I, I do. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And once again, thank you to Stumac for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, Click the link in the description. Go get yourself a soldering iron. Watch some YouTube videos. Learn how to solder. Start changing pickups. Start making your own cables for real. If you uh, if you have a cheap instrument cable laying around, I've done this before. Actually, I had a I had a cheap, shitty, like, I don't know, like Walmart cable or something. And I just bought some bulk quarter inch ends off of amazon some low profile ones and i just cut the thing in half and I, it was like a 25 foot cable and i cut the ends off and then i soldered the new ends on and i have two 12 and a half foot cables and i genuinely use them all the time because they're great for just kind of patching stuff around the studio real quick uh go on stumac.com get yourself a basic soldering setup and learn how to how to solder yeah it is, it is a necessity 
It really is. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around. Thank you again to Eric Johnson for coming on and sharing his wisdom uh, with us. We will see you all on the next episode. (laughs) 